Good evening and welcome to a Week 7 edition of Rams All Access with a Super Bowl champion, DeMarco Farr. I am JB Long. The Rams are the NFL's last undefeated team. They go to face rival San Francisco this week at Levi's. The Rams beat the Broncos 23-20, improved to 6-0. And under head coach Sean McVay, they're now 11-1 away from the Coliseum. They'll wow. try and sweep this three-game road stretch. And DeMarco, what's impressive to me is in recent weeks they've been winning Different ways, uh, defense, special teams, running game in the Denver cold. Do you think that bodes well uh, for the stretch run here that the Rams are not just blowing teams out with their offense? I think so. I, I like the way they won in Denver, man. That's that's old school football. Hand it to your running back and just let him just pound them into the dust. Uh, you know, it was cold. Jared Goff with the glove. You know, it wasn't as accurate as he would like to be as everyone is expecting him to be, but you still find a way to win. I mean, it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win in the NFL. It was a wire-to-wire victory, mm-hmm. and one that felt like it could have been a 30-plus point performance and maybe a double-digit victory. You get the garbage-time touchdown from the Broncos that made it interesting. Uh, but uh, there was some play calling from Sean McVay that we were questioning in real time, and then he uh, took himself to task for post-game and again on the Coach's Show on Monday that we'll dive into. What can he do better as a play caller and specifically a game manager to put some of those games on ice a little bit earlier? Wow. I mean, what can he do better? Better. I, I, I'm sure those plays that he dialed up, you know, he wasn't expecting to be sacked. He right. he wasn't designing those plays to lose yardage. So I mean, maybe stay with the hot hand, um, maybe not risk it so much. But I mean, you have every confidence in the world in your playmakers and your quarterback. So in reality, he's right. Yeah, it's just the Denver made plays. And think about this: you're playing probably the three best pass rushers. You're probably going to see all year in their house in the cold. So why are you shocked when they win on a pass rep? They always do. DeMarcus Ware, or not DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller will probably be in the Hall of Fame at some point for doing what you saw in Denver. That being said, from the 19-yard line of Denver, knowing that they have that personnel, why would you give them that chance? I think is the argument that some members of the fan base uh, pose to Sean McVay, and his answer is fantastic. We'll get to that along with four-down territory. We'll go inside opponent's territory and get some insight on the 49ers and the problems that they've had on their way to a 1-5 and start. But let's give Todd Gurley his due to start here on Rams All-Access, the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. How about this, DeMarco? He individually has as many offensive touchdowns as the New York Giants, Washington, Dallas, Jacksonville, and Houston. And he has more than four other teams, Buffalo, Tennessee, Oakland, and Arizona. So that's nine teams that Todd Gurley individually has as many or more offensive touchdowns. Oh, yeah, I like this side of the street. I like this neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, I hated being those other nine teams where one guy is outscoring everybody. So, yeah, I mean, he's having a phenomenal run with this offense. And I think he's actually getting better. Uh, running the football. He was way more aggressive uh, than normal versus Denver. I love it when he assumes responsibility for the offense and for the football team in certain situations and just carries them. That is a bell cow back. I had MVP caliber statistics last year and is doing more of the same here in 2018. This is what Sean McVay had to say about his star tailback. He's a special, special player, and his ability to run, his ability to work edges on people, finish violently downhill. Um, you look at what he's doing 
without the ball as well. The pickup that he had on a third down conversion that we got to Robert Woods when Stewart comes through the front side A-gap, those are the things that really, to me, separate Todd from anyone else. And he can do it all. Uh, you want to get him the ball as many ways as possible, but but you know just his football IQ, his understanding matched up with the special person, the special ability. It's a it's a really it's a unique combination, and we're very fortunate to have him. and, and He did a great job kind of carrying us yesterday. Uh, that one blitz pickup that he's talking about in particular, and several others are the part that I think gets overlooked about Todd's game. That really uh, makes him a viable MVP candidate one, and allows this passing game led by Jared Goff to be as productive as it is. Well, I mean that's as close to complete as you're going to see a complete running back uh, inside outside. You can throw it to him. He can pick up blitzes. He's very very smart. I mean that's what you want in you know guys that you pay a lot of money to. But I got to give some credit to Malcolm Brown too. Yeah. Malcolm Brown was the guy that really set the tone in pass pro when he decleated a guy. Since then, Todd has been letter perfect and violent with it. And the first guy I went to after the game in Denver was actually Malcolm Brown. Really? Because I mean this guy's knocking out middle linebackers with with mm. carries, right? So I had to look at his helmet. I know it's bad. I'm not supposed to in the concussion era, but I had to look at the stick marks. And they were deep grooves. I'm like, yeah, man. Well, you said it going to that uh, game. I remember that Malcolm Brown's just getting like pent up. You can see the plays he's making on special teams as an indication of just how revved up he is to actually get some tailback reps. I mean, like when he makes a carry, when the play is dead, he is standing up and actually starting to walk back to the huddle. They have to like call him back <laughs> off the field now. I like that. That's a guy that's. He's pushing the envelope, which makes Todd a better running back. As we uh, look ahead to this week against the 49ers, uh, last week taught me a lesson, reminded me of a lesson that I think uh, will play out over the course of the balance of this season, and that is watching Aaron Rodgers rip the 49ers' hearts out on Monday Night Football. The Rams, where they stand, are playing for home field advantage throughout. And what I mean by that is you don't want to be at Lambeau Field for all of the atmosphere and, and the advantage that that is. And you don't want to play in the snow or the conditions that Jared Goff had to play in because, let's face it, indications are he's probably not as good and accurate a quarterback with the gloves on. So take this start, this undefeated start, and cash it in, not just for a division, DeMarco, but for home field, a buy, so that you are playing in Los Angeles in January. See, this is foreign talk. I love it. I mean, because <laughs> you're in position. You're right. You have to talk about these things. It's game within the game. I mean... Players are taught one rep at a time, one game at a time, but there is a game within the game. And guys like Belichick play these certain situations. They know the games where you have to get ahead. You can win this one here. And I agree with you, man. I think the 49ers defense is at a breaking point. Rivers came back on them. Aaron Rodgers came back on them. If the Rams come out and play and function on all cylinders and just run by them, I think they're ready to break. I mean, how much more can they take? Really, when you think about it, you had chances to win games and you let it get away or your offense just kept turning it over. I've been there. They're ready to break. Yeah. I mean, they're getting in from Green Bay at some yeah. odd hour of the morning on Tuesday going on a short week. They know they've been flexed out of prime time. You know, really only the juice of this rivalry might be keeping them afloat at this point. But you look at the NFC picture after six weeks. The Rams are the only unbeaten, of course, across the entire National Football League. The Saints are the only one loss in the NFC. They play at Baltimore, and the Ravens have been fantastic uh, this week. Then there are five teams with two losses, but two of them have a tie on their record, the Vikings and the Packers. So this is a massive advantage. Football Outsiders is one of those sites that kind of projects based on uh, historical precedent and also how good they think the teams are this year, playoff odds. They have the Rams as a 66% chance to earn the one seed in the NFC, 83% to get a bye, Playoff 
total percentage, 99%. So my point is, one, the Rams are in fantastic shape. I think home field advantage is their goal at this point. And then also there are losses coming for other teams, and that's what I love about this stage of the season. We talked about uh, the Saints going to Baltimore. The Bears, another contender. They host Mm. the Patriots. The Panthers and the Eagles play in Philadelphia this week, even Dallas and Washington. I mean, these are teams that could chew up playoff spots in the NFC, and they're all set up to start taking some L's. Is this make-a-move week? Can you call it that? Or take-advantage week? Yeah, I think, or just stay on course stay on and, course and let, let the other L's fall the way that they're going I to. I like it. See, you, if we were running a football team, I would have to, like, you know, take that outside. But wait oh, a yeah. minute. This That's is, interesting. No, You're this right. This is for midweek only. This stays out of Sunday. This is only for our purposes. <laughs> right. Um, and, and Sean McVay, look, I think he has proven that he is capable of keeping his group yeah. laser focused, whether the challenge is the cold or the travel or the rivalry, or whatever it's going to be. He's as good Saturday night into Sunday game day as I think there is in the league. Well, I think this team can handle that sort of information. I really do. I I think if you told them the importance of this and what could happen after this week if you take care of business, you could really set yourself apart and get closer to your ultimate goal of winning a Lombardi. I think they can handle that information. Well, because there's a naysayer argument yep. out there that presents, you know, the Rams, despite their record, haven't beaten a team with a winning mark when they that. went head-to-head at any point. Now, some teams, like, for instance, the Chargers, have played better mm-hmm. and, and have risen since the Rams played them. Uh, but once again, they're facing this week a team with a losing mark. And then beyond, then you get Green Bay. Then you get at New Orleans. And then it gets real in terms of the caliber of the team you're playing in the course of that week and also who they present at quarterback. I'm just saying take advantage of every opportunity you can while you can because the more wins you stack, the more likely you are to be playing in Los Angeles in 60 degrees in January as opposed to going to Philadelphia yeah, yeah. or to Green Bay or even indoors, take the weather out of it, to New Orleans. The Rams are already going there twice. You don't want to go there a third time. As long as Jared Goff doesn't have a glove on, I'll take anybody. <laughs> anybody. Uh, this week they have a chance to become the first NFL team to win three straight on the road, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, since the 2014 Bengals did it. That's the challenge and the opportunity available to Sean McVay and the Rams this week as they go to San Francisco. Next week, Sean, next segment I should say, Sean McVay takes himself to task for some of the play-calling decisions that he made In Denver, we'll talk about game management next segment on Rams All Access on ESPN LA 710. Well, according to head coach of the Rams, the person most affected by the cold in Denver was not his quarterback, Jared Goff, but Sean McVay himself, some self admitted brain freeze perhaps two instances that uh, we thought were most prominent to Marco both occurred from the Denver 19 yard line early fourth quarter Rams had a 10 point lead third and three Roger Saffold had just exited two plays prior uh, Goff ends up being sacked minus 10 Santos misses a field goal later in the fourth quarter almost impossibly coincidentally from the Denver 19 again you got second and five um, and Goff is sacked again trying to bootleg Gurley wasn't on the field for either play on a day in which he had a career-high rushing total. Wow. Coincidence, maybe, or just could it be bad play calling? Could it be a mistake by Sean McVay? Who knows? We don't know. But, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Of course, run Todd through there, pick up a first down or what have you. But if you do get those plays blocked up, who knows what happens on those pass plays? Yeah. If they don't break through, if they don't make a great ET stunt to get a guy home on Jared Goff, who knows what that play would become? Uh, so two sound bites from Sean McVay from our coach's show and our great conversation on Monday. 
Uh, the first has to do with Goff's sack specifically. He came in with six on the season, took five more against the Broncos. You talked about some of their great personnel. Uh, but looking at the film, the head coach said those actually are not on the number one offensive line in the league. I don't want to take away anything that those guys did. They did a great job being able to get five sacks. But I, you know, I think naturally the tendency is to, to immediately the O-line's responsible, and I really don't think they were responsible for any of those. He went on to say, I'm responsible for those, and uh, while I think he would manage that game differently, and while he did kind of take his mea culpa, uh, he's not going to apologize ever for going for the jugular, is he? No, <laughs> that's not his ballywick. That's not what he does. That's not how he thinks, and I think that's why we like him. I think that's why he's great, and this team has a chance to be great, but in certain situations... You know, over-aggressive or being over-aggressive can come back to bite you. Mm -hmm. And he learns. I think he's a coach that actually learns. And maybe in the same situation or in the next situation that comes up, you might see a different play call up sure. different play called in that situation sure all right so here's some of the accountability straight from the man himself and then i want your reaction as a former player as to like what mood does this set for constructive criticism and for weekly and daily improvement when you have a head coach who's willing to take it like like sean mcveigh is we're going to be aggressive all the time and i'm never going to apologize for that that's what we believe in that's how we want to attack and and we want to do it in a smart way but at the end of the day when you're playing especially towards the latter half of the game fourth quarter playing with the lead the way that the defense was playing especially those are the things that I expect to have a better feel for the flow of the game and we talk about playing complimentary football and I thought in some of those instances I could have done a much better job of some of the play selections with regards to what is the potential outcome right here and how can I put our guys in good spots and what I appreciate so much about our players is they'd be the first to tell you too well they can do a good job of, of finding a solution within the framework of the play and that's the give and take and I think that's the appreciation that we all have collectively working towards being the best that we can be within the framework of our roles and that's what we want to do it's funny you and your players you guys only remember the bad the good is what you're supposed oh, to do i remember the good i remember <laughs> you really? the good. Trust okay. me, i remember a lot of the good like it's if a, i said great game you would say what i would say hey thanks to marco <laughs> <laughs> i mean he had to force himself to say that no i mean really i mean i think you hit it uh during the course of that conversation you might send the play in with hey look we can't take a sack here just right. know, if, if we're going to do this, if it's not there, throw it away. We can't lose yards. It could be the same play, just different instruction with it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you learn there as a, as a head coach. One of those instances, even kind of his uh, explanation afterwards, having then spoken to Jared Goff, was, you know, I took that sack rather than throwing it away because I wanted to make sure the clock kept rolling. Wow. And, and something as simple as clarifying, hey, no sacks here. Don't worry about the clock. We're good with three, especially with Greg Zerline coming back this week. I think are some of those subtle game management improvements that can be made because, let's face it, we all expect the Rams to be protecting and extending leads in the fourth quarter of games this week and for many weeks to come. Absolutely. So, I mean, look, Jared Goff learned, the offense learned, Sean McVay learned. So if that does come up again, you'll probably see different results. Who knows in football, but I, I think you'll – I think you'll get smarter from those two plays. That being said, we now know Sean McVay well enough to know that when he gets into that high red zone area, he is not trying to be a boa constrictor. He wants to be a viper. Yeah, he right? wants to kill you. <laughs> and and, and I, yeah. I think when you have the offensive line that you have right now, when you're down a Cooper Cup, for instance, and when you have Gurley going the way that he is, Look, they were plenty balanced run versus pass. It's not that. It's situationally maybe having a governor on your own instincts and your own inclination to be aggressive, 
But he was aggressive on fourth and one from the 10, and that worked out just fine. No too. doubt. I, you know, against that defense, I mean, I, it, it paid to be aggressive. They had given up a lot of yards to a lot of different teams. I would have kept my foot on the gas. I think he was doing the exact right thing. Now, the result isn't what you wanted, but mm. and he, I think he talked about next time he'll probably do the same thing with different instructions, and you'll probably get different results. I love it. I can't stand when I hear coaches say, or offensive coordinators, we're just going to take what the defense gives us. No, that's not how you attack. We're going to give you everything. We think we can make plays here. I don't care who you have. Mm. We're going to make you adjust to us. Right. Yeah, not we're going to, we're just going to take what they give us. Well, I mean, that means you're reactive instead of proactive on offense. Since you've been on an NFL sideline and since you've played for offensive-minded coaches, let me kind of let's recreate the situation. Say something similar third and whatever comes up in the 49ers red zone this week. Do you think there's another voice in the headset, whether it's Jed Fish, who helps out as a consultant from upstairs, or maybe Bones Fossler, Wade Phillips, who says, hey, Sean, just remember, we've got, we, we can take this to two scores. Our defense is playing well. We've got three here. Just remember. Or do you think he is operating on an island? Mm, I, I'm sure there's information coming down. Um, it just depends on how the offense is going that day. You know, if if they're just clicking and he can't miss and he's calling a great game, I bet those voices would be a little silent. Now, if it's a struggle, if Jared's a little bit off, or if they're getting pressure like you saw on Sunday, then that voice might get louder. Hey, look, we've we've got three points in our pocket. We can take it to a two-score game. Mm-hmm. They can't move the ball on us. This will pretty much lock it up. So, I mean... Maybe that would get louder. But if he's rolling, I think he's only going to hear touchdown. It's interesting because with Zerline coming back, those eight, ten yard sacks almost become more palatable or acceptable because you've got a guy who can bang it from 50 plus. You got range. Uh, unlike what you had the last few weeks with, uh, with Cairo Santos. All right. Uh, we're overdue for a break here, but when we come back, uh, Robert Woods playing at an all pro level, what his quarterback, Jared Goff, had to say about the former USC Trojan. That's as we continue on Rams All Access Week 7 edition on ESPN LA 710. Welcome back to Rams All Access. DeMarco Farr, J.B. Long in this week's Rams All Access poll question here on ESPN Los Angeles. Which player is the unsung hero of the Rams 6-0 start? Which player is the unsung hero of the Rams undefeated start? Uh, I provided three options, but also left a fourth for write-in candidates. Uh, Robert Woods with 49% of the nearly 700 who voted. Austin Blythe second to Marco on the offensive line with 29% of the vote. And middle linebacker Corey Littleton uh, with 18%. Plenty of other write-ins for players, including LaMarcus Joyner and Roger Saffold. Uh, but what do you think of Robert Woods hauling in nearly half of the vote? You know, I, the big question about Robert Woods was, could he be a number one option? Could he be a number one type? And I think you're actually seeing what that looks like. Uh, due to injury and due to Cooper Cup going out and just by necessity, you've had to fit the ball to him. But I think he's tremendous. I mean, no matter where Jared Goff puts it, he makes a great attempt at, at making the catch. And for the most part, he does. And he's great after the catch. And he's he's just letter perfect in pretty much everything he does. Including rooting out blockers yes. in the running game. Yeah, it's it's tremendous. And I think you were the one that brought up... You, uh, he's close to Isaac Bruce's numbers in the same amount of time. Prior to Woods, the last Rams receiver with 80 plus receiving in five straight games was Isaac Bruce. He had seven in the year 2000. He also had a nine game consecutive streak back in 1995. Adam Thielen in the modern NFL this year is the only player in the NFL with a longer streak. He's got a hundred in every game. Wow. Compared to Robert Woods. So, uh, Woods has been great for the Rams. 
was not as productive in Buffalo, has not earned a Pro Bowl honor yet. I think this can be that year. I hope he does. I really do. And I remember, you know, being teammates with Isaac and watching him just pretty much do what, what Robert's doing now. And it seemed like no one saw it because we were a losing football team. So I'm glad you get to see this uh, out of woods on the big stage with a team that's undefeated. So he gets the credit he deserves. He's playing great ball. I mean, absolute great ball. For much as much as we enjoy being around Jared Goff, uh, he's not the most talkative, right? He doesn't tend to gush, especially at the media podium. But when he was asked this week about Robert Woods, this was about as elaborate an answer as you'll ever get from the Rams QB one. I think the number one thing that you know, I think he would say he worked on, and, and that is obvious to us in the building, is is just his pure hands. I think. Uh, last year, you know, he tended to let the ball get into him a little bit, and, and it's something that he really worked on um, this offseason and came into this season. And he's, you know, got some of the best hands I've ever played with. Not, it's, 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 you know, comparable to anyone I've ever played with. And um, if you guys watch most of his catches nowadays, it's all out in front of his body, all with his hands. You know, he makes some miraculous catches as well with his hands, and um, it's just become a guy that I can really trust with any route, any any sort of cut anything you know he's, he's a guy that i really have a lot of faith in one less excuse for all young receivers and pros you can improve your hands so guys that go their entire career with the same pair of stone hands you're just not working at your craft hmm. obviously you can get better jared goff just told you you know it's uh, interesting this offseason i kind of like pulled aside a quotation from sean mcveigh because he doesn't often talk about what players can or should do individually to improve. Now, that's going on behind closed doors day in and day out, of course. But one thing he's not keen on doing is saying, this guy can get better by doing this, right? He's just He he's, tends to just layer on praise and confidence and take care of criticism behind closed doors. But I knew that Robert Woods was going to be in for a Pro Bowl caliber season because Sean McVay came right out and said one thing we challenged him to do this offseason is exactly what Jared Goff just described. So for him to go public with that, one, I think, shows the confidence in the the player's ability to incorporate it. And two, he knew that Woods had already incorporated it and was prepared to put it on display. Big time. Was that Arizona where you made the catch, the sideline catch, man coverage? Where Jared put it behind the defender and he snagged it. I mean, the one you said you thought it was past his ear or something. Yeah, right? just yeah. amazing. Just watching the body control and when he actually picked up the flight of the football and when he got his hands on it. You can tell that guy has been working. I mean, yeah. absolutely working. It seemed like practice for him. It was normal. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And after he caught it, a little bit of bravado, but he wasn't surprised by it. I love when guys make circus catches and they're shocked. They're just as shocked as we are that he caught it. I mean, it seems like business as usual from quarterback to receiver. I want to finish this segment with some thoughts on the defense, but let's round out the receiving core first. Cooper Cup's going to be out for a while. Thankfully, it was not as severe an injury as we all thought it was when he got horse-collar tackled. Uh, So Josh Reynolds will likely start, but the Rams also added Nick Williams this week to help fill uh, some of that role that Cooper Cup plays. Absolutely. Sometimes you can be in the right place, right time, and just you can do the job, so you get the job. I think at least he understands the terminology. I don't know how or how much he's going to see the rock, but at least you can line him up and he knows where to line up and he knows his assignments. Uh, this seems like a favorable matchup, even though Richard Sherman is playing for the 49ers now. The secondary of San Francisco is allowing quarterbacks in a completion percentage of 58 uh, this season. That's the second highest in the NFL. So even without Cooper Cup, you figure that Goff and the Rams should be able to thrive through the air. It's been a quiet couple of weeks uh, for Brandon Cooks, even before he was concussed in Seattle. 
Uh, that proved to be his only catch or would have been his only catch if not for a penalty in Seattle. Um, to me, Cooks against Sherman is a key matchup this week. I'm confident that's going to change. I think Robert Woods is going to have a day. I think Cooks is going to have a day. If you can figure out how to control Buckner, I think he's their best player. Mm-hmm. He's 6'7", and he plays at 6'7". So worried about Roger Saffold and his health because – if you're not, if you can't anchor, he's going to throw you. He's a big guy, and Blythe is about six two versus six seven. That's that's scary. If you can find a way to keep him out of the backfield, you'll have time to throw, and you can get open against these guys. In the meantime, the Rams coming off their most sound performance, fitting the run, probably holding Denver's potent rushing attack to only sixty yards on the ground. But the opposite corner, opposite Marcus Peters, and the lack of an edge rush now I think have become legitimate concerns, like weaknesses that maybe we can't ignore. Uh, Case Keenum picked on Troy Hill. There's no way around it. Oh, yeah. He looked right at him and came at him and made plays against him and kept coming at him again. So you mentioned LaMarcus Joyner in your Unsung Heroes. I think he'll be huge this week. And Marcus Peters. He needs to be a shutdown guy so you can rotate your safety to the opposite side to help on their on their fast receiver. Interesting. So just know that he's got a half. Absolutely. The other thing you have to contend with, maybe the most intensely in terms of uh, contending with a tight end since week one is what they're going to get from Kittle this week. I mean, he is their top target. You know, that's the first thing I did. Um, watched the 49er tape and then went back and watched the Raider film. Just yeah. to remind yourself what tight ends can do and how much trouble they had with good tight ends. There's a reason Jason Witten loves this guy. Because he resembles Jason Witten yeah. in the offense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kyle Rudolph for Minnesota was more than capable, but I think going back to Jared Cook in terms of the look that you're going to get this week, and they do that of two-back personnel too, right? I mean, two-backs, two, two tight ends, that's kind of the difference, I would say, between Kyle Shanahan um, and Sean McVay, who have offensive similarities, but whereas the Rams are in 11 almost exclusively, you're going to see a lot more from Juszczyk and the tight ends of San Francisco. No doubt, and old-school Ram fans, I tell you what, and I, I swear on this, if you change 22, Breida's number to 33, you'll swear it's Rathman and Craig again. <laughs> it's it's the same. It's a fullback yeah. that can do anything and everything, and they'll just trick you and mess you up. That's a nice call, actually. That's that's really good. Um, so Hill and Shields have each kind of been, quote-unquote, benched at times since taking over for Tlaib. And this week is one thing, but you're going to start running the quarterback gauntlet in terms of passing attacks with Rodgers, Breeze, Russell Wilson, Mahomes kind of on the horizon. Uh, I think that second corner uh, is is a real issue to keep an eye on uh, in terms yeah. of it, it could be the thing that cost the Rams their first loss. I just remember way back, what, five, six years ago, this is when Richard Sherman was still, Richard Sherman and the Legion of Boom was still viable. And they were playing uh, Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers went away from Sherman the entire game. He picked on the other corner. Richard Sherman said, are you going away from me? No, I'm not going away from you. I'm just killing this guy over here. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I'm just murdering him. So uh, that's the game today. If they find a pigeon, a weak link, they're just going to lean on it until it breaks. Obviously, the pass rush from the interior has been sensational with Sue and Aaron Donald, and Brockers had a nice game against the Broncos as well. Uh, Oba Okoronkwo, uh, the team now has three weeks to decide uh, what to do with one of their late-round picks, who we thought had a chance to contribute on the edge. They can either place him on the active roster or on the injured reserve list. That clock is now ticking. He's 
he's not going to impact this week's game. But as you look for more contributions from the edge, and as Matt Longacre is again battling some back problems, um, Samson Abukam has has not shown up in in recent weeks. It's been a while since we talked about him. Uh, that's another position where I think this defense can show up better. You know what? I mean, it, it could be time to start rotating guys through. I think you have a glut at inside linebacker, some guys that can run. Why not stand up and rush? Would if, you put Barron out there? If if Mark Barron is a, if Rameek Wilson is standing around mm-hmm. and Mark Barron and Littleton are playing and you need some edge rush, just some speed off the edge. Why not? If if you're looking for guys to fill in, usually they come from the same room. Instead of standing back, stand on the line and rush. I love the way they sent Joiner on that fourth down play. Yes. I mean, and it wasn't just an, an untouched blitz. I mean, he had to spin move off the blitz pickup. You better to get, get out of his way. Yeah. yeah that was, <laughs> get out of his way. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> Uh, before we're done here on this edition of Rams All Access, I'm going to make the case that the 49ers are the best 1-5 in five team in NFL history. Uh, and I'm going to do it somewhat in tongue-in-cheek. Okay. But nonetheless, I think there's a case to be made without having a full grasp of the history of the NFL and 1-5 in five teams. Uh, but coming up next, four down territory with Nick Wagner. He'll give us some real insight on the state of the 49ers. That's next on Rams All Access. You're listening to ESPN LA 710. All right, welcome back to Rams All Access. Let's continue with Four Down Territory, our weekly trip inside opponent's territory. And we are privileged to have Nick Wagoner, who covers the San Francisco 49ers for ESPN's NFL Nation, joining us. Uh, Nick, San Francisco has taken some absolute gut punches this season. Most recently, Monday Night Football in Green Bay. Where is this team at emotionally? You know, it's interesting, JB, because this is a team that last year obviously started off in, in, a, in kind of a similar vein. It took them a lot longer to win that first game last year. But these close losses, these games that are there for the taking that they can't quite pull off has kind of become, you know, the early hallmark of, of the Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch regime. And I think really what it comes down to is a lack of kind of star power, you know, those difference-making types of players who can put you over the top in those close games. And uh, I hope to their, to their credit, Kyle Shanahan has, has kind of kept them in it. They don't seem like they're wavering. They're still – you know, have a lot of belief in C.J. Beathard, a lot of belief that they're going to get this thing turned around. And, and, and that's, a, that's a credit to the head coach, but they've still got a long way to go before they can really turn this around and, and week-to-week count on being able to win those types of close games. Nick, do you think the fan base shares that belief? Because the feeling I got was that they <laughs> sensed the 49ers were back with Jimmy Garoppolo and this was going to be their year. It has not played out that way. Yeah, I think there's certainly some disappointment, J.B., amongst the fan base, and a lot of that was kind of created a little bit falsely, just under, under the, the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo came in and led them to those five straight wins at the end of last year, it created a lot of buzz. And, you know, at the end of the day, this was still a 6-10 and 10 team, still a franchise that was entering the second year of what looked like a huge rebuild. And then, of course, you lose Garoppolo. I think that's a, a very disheartening thing for the fan base. And I, I think the, the reasonable fans here understand that this is this was going to be a process anyway. They're probably not going to get the record that they expected to this year. And, and I think a reasonable person probably looked at this team and said, you know, this still isn't a playoff team. This is probably an 8-8, eight and eight, maybe if the ball bounces their way a couple times, 9-7, and seven, uh, you know, type of team. And that's not the way it's going to play out. But I do think that people at least understand you lose your starting quarterback. But it's really hard for most teams to survive that. Uh, you add in some of the other injuries and things that they've had happen as well, and it's really just been an uphill battle. Nick Wagner covers the San Francisco 49ers for ESPN's NFL Nation, and the ball has not bounced their way. You know, turnovers and injuries are kind of the two stories of luck 
that dictate mm-hmm. the course of a NFL season, and the Niners have not had either one of those things go their way. What's the backstory on the deal with the turnovers and the lack of takeaways? Yeah, I think what you're seeing with the turnovers is, uh, at least for right now, with C.J. Beathard in there, quarterback, is just kind of the growing pains of a young quarterback who wasn't, you know, wasn't a hot shot, wasn't a number one overall pick or, or something like that. It was a third-round pick who they're trying to develop, and I think they've seen progress in him, but this is a guy, J.D., who every start he's made has had at least one turnover, and, and, and over half of them he's had two or more. So uh, I think that's a, a big part of, of what you're seeing. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo had some issues with interceptions, you saw a hint of that last year, but uh, even early in the season, particularly in that Minnesota game, uh, there were some mistakes. Some of that wasn't on him. You know, there were receivers running the wrong routes that were in the wrong spot, things like that. So a lot of it kind of goes back to their youth in, in some sense. But I think the more disappointing thing is, is the lack of takeaways to kind of offset some of those turnovers. They have the fewest takeaways in the league. They have just one interception. I believe it's three takeaways total for the season. Uh, you have to get some of that offset, and I think you see it now in this league when offenses are dominating to the point that they are and the rules have kind of shifted to favor offenses so much. Defenses are a lot more reliant on being able to get those takeaways, make those big plays, come up with sacks because the yards numbers at the end of the day aren't going to look pretty, but if you can get some of those, it still puts you in a much better position to win. You're right. Final question here, four down territory with Nick Wagoner talking 49ers previewing week seven. Individually, who's been the most pleasant surprise and how about the biggest disappointment? And I'll, give, I'll give you two of each real quick. I, I'd say from a pleasant surprise standpoint, tight end George Kittle and running back Matt Breida have probably been the two guys that have stood out the most. Uh, I think you kind of expected it from Kittle, even though he was a fifth-round pick a couple years ago. The Niners were really high on him when they got him. He was an immediate starter from the moment he got here. And last year he kind of played through a lot of injuries, still set a rookie record for the franchise in terms of receiving yards. Uh, but this year he's fully healthy and has really kind of blossomed into that guy who is the number one type of target in, in the passing game and is also a really strong blocker, kind of harkens back and reminds you of, of another former Iowa Hawkeye tight end in, in Dallas Clark. And then Matt Brito was an undrafted guy a year ago who they really believed in. He was the backup uh, with Jarek McKinnon going down this season. He moved into kind of a starting role and uh, a really tough young guy. He's looks small, but he's a lot tougher than he he might appear, and has been a really solid addition to the run game and and kind of leading the way that way. And then from a disappointment standpoint, I I go to the other side of the ball. There's a couple of draft picks, relatively high draft picks from 2017, and Solomon Thomas and Akella Witherspoon, who they were counting on big things from this year. Uh, And you know, Witherspoon was supposed to start opposite Richard Sherman. He struggled a lot. Now he's dealing with a concussion this week and has had some other injury issues. And just hasn't quite looked like the guy that they saw at the end of last year and who they were counting on to start this season. And then Solomon Thomas just kind of looks like a man without a home, like he doesn't have a position in this defense. I think a lot of people believe he's best as a three-technique defensive tackle. That's the position to force Buckner plays. Buckner is the one guy on this team you look at and say, that guy's a star, he's a, he's a legitimate force week in and week out. So Thomas isn't going to take his spot, but I don't know where he fits in this defense otherwise. And you see his playing time kind of bounce up and down from week to week. He's gone, he's gone through a lot personally too, which should be noted, and that hasn't helped his cause either. But uh, I think those are two guys that they really were expecting big things from, and so far they haven't got it. All right, Nick Wagner, thanks for the 49ers rundown, and we will look forward to seeing you Sunday afternoon at Levi's. Thanks for having me, JB. Take care. Yeah, for whatever reason, October has proven to be scary for San Francisco. They have lost 12 straight in this month, the longest active streak in the NFL. And next up, the undefeated Rams. We continue with DeMarco Farr. 
Look, I don't think the 49ers are as bad as their record indicates. I actually forecasted uh, a losing record by the time the Rams got to San Francisco. I thought their schedule was too difficult to handle for where their roster was at, and especially without Reuben Foster for their first couple of weeks. I didn't expect it to be this bad, and of course, none of us could have foreseen the injuries to their starting quarterback and their starting running back. So that's a whole different animal. Um, I just wonder what what San Francisco has left emotionally like i wonder if they're spent given what just happened in green bay well i mean they're always going to come at you and that's the one thing philip rivers broke their heart the week before i mean that had to be just demoralizing but they still rallied because aaron Rodgers is coming to town you have to in the national football league you can't hang your head there there is no we care about the next man it's all about the w so if you're hanging your head they're going to put 50 on you. It's just there's no heart in this game. So he's going to rally his football team, their head coaches, to get them ready to play. Now, if you take it to them, then doubt will start to creep in. You'll start to see it. They'll start to drop their head and shake their head, and things will go bad. They expect things to go wrong. But from the outset, they're going to come punch in the mouth. That's what that's what they are, and that's who they are. Before I make the case for the 49ers being the best 1-5 team in NFL history, I know you watched the end of that, that Green Bay game. Ha- have you seen a poor job in prevent two-minute drill defense in terms of not protecting your sideline? When Rodgers, as good as he is without a timeout, was able to complete, I think, three critical passes, Adams and St. Brown, to each sideline to get them in the field goal range. I've seen it before with them. They had a chance to squeeze the life out of the Chargers, and they missed. Uh, they had opportunities to... They actually got on Matt Stafford, but he was terrible. Uh, they had chances against Kirk Cousins. They couldn't get him out. So it's they've been a victim of either missed tackles or missed time penalties or just complete breakdowns when it counts the most. So it didn't shock me. When I watch them, I think it's just a matter of time before they make a mistake, and there it is. I mean, you're going for the win, and Beathard throws the interception uh, in Green Bay territory. So you know that without a timeout, Rodgers only has a certain amount of time, and you're letting guys get free releases with outside leverage on the perimeter. Yeah. Like it's, it's baffling. That's the other thing about it's, it's McVeigh versus Sala, their defensive coordinator, and just watching all their plays back to back to back, there's a rhythm to his play calling. Now, if I can see it, what do you think McVeigh's going to do? What do you, Andy Reid really exploited them. I expect the same sort of out, output from the Rams offense with McVeigh. Interesting. All right. So despite being one in five, uh, injuries and turnovers, the story of the season, I actually think the 49ers are pretty solid, and here's why. They're differential. They're scoring differential. Only minus 31. To be minus 31 with five losses is incredible. Four of those five losses, DeMarco, also on the road. I talked about their schedule against these quarterbacks. Cousins, Mahomes, Rivers, and Rodgers. That's an MVP race in 2018 (laughs) right there. And that's, I mean, other than the egg that they laid at home, that's, those are their losses right there. Um, and here's my thing with turnovers. Yes, some of them have to do with the backup quarterback and putting balls in jeopardy. But injuries and turnovers fluctuate wildly within a season and year to year. They are as lucky a statistic as there is in the National Football League. If the 49ers take care of the football, and who knows if this is the week that it happens, I think they're potent. I think they're way better than 1-5. in five. I agree with you. If they can stay on the field, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot... They can move the ball on anybody. That's a good offense. They have some really good pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think they have a backup playing quarterback right now. And every now and then, he gets overwhelmed. And there goes the game where it's a critical situation, and they turn it over, or they get turned over, or they get, they have to punt. And then it goes on the defense, and that breaks. So, yeah, I don't think they're far off. If Garoppolo were still healthy, I think this whole season is different. 
this game is different, definitely. Yeah, I mean, their schedule is set up to make a run, not exactly like they did last year, but in the same magnitude as they did last year. I just don't know without the personnel and maybe without some of the the faith and hope and optimism that Garoppolo brought in the second half of that season that they're going to be able to turn this thing around. But if they do, we'll know on Sunday because it's going to start with an upset of the undefeated Rams. True, and I think you're only seeing a small part of their offense with the backup. I really do. I yeah. mean, there's only and, and and still, if they take care of the football, they're they're out there. Twenty five play. I think it was a twenty five play or a twenty one play drive that resulted in three points. When's the last time you've seen that? <laughs> well, you don't get points per play. <laughs> right. The longer the drive doesn't necessarily make <laughs> right. more points. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's kind of the state of the 49ers. One final break here and one final segment to come. We're previewing a Week 7 trip to San Francisco, and the Rams are looking to stay undefeated. This is the ESPN LA Rams Radio Network, and you're listening to ESPN LA 710. Uh, one of my favorite moments from Sunday into Monday was talking with you, DeMarco, about the uh, percentage of holding calls that aren't being called <laughs> against Aaron Donald, who has produced 41 total pressures this year, most among interior defenders. Uh, he's almost good at this point for a sack and a holding penalty per game, but it could be a whole lot more, and even Sean McVay I wasn't shy about saying some of those should be called. Absolutely, and like we said, if you do call every holding call against, it'll be a five-hour game, so I get it. <laughs> You've seen this before. Every good pass rusher goes through it. J.J. Watt, at the end of every rush, is holding his hands up. Like, you could have called holding on that play. Yes, that's that's the situation. So I guess you have to make it more egregious. You have to make it more of a big deal. You have to call it out, but... Some of those things, you're just going to have to move on and keep playing. Uh, predominantly because of what he and Sue are doing. The Rams have the second highest rate of pressure in the NFL on their defense. They have not really converted those into sacks, however. 22nd in the league in taking down quarterbacks. And this will be another challenging week, DeMarco, because C.J. Beathard, if nothing else, will get the football out quickly, almost as quickly as any quarterback in the league. As long as the Rams tackle, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, and you have to tackle well. And Breida can can make you miss. Juszczyk is a problem. He is an issue. I think he'll be an issue on game day, really. Um, if the Rams want to go up-tempo and bring pressure, he's going to be the guy that makes you pay for it. But you have just got to find ways to get pressure off the edge. Because what I expect them to do is just move the pocket. You're not going to be able to block Sue and Donald and Brockers in the middle. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to with that offensive line. So, But moving your quarterback around, changing the lodge point, creating more distance between the rush and them, to allow guys to get open deep down the field, I think that could be an issue. Uh, in terms of the rush when he is in the pocket, I think it's one of those games, too, where you have to be cognizant of maybe giving up on getting to the quarterback and getting your hands up because not only is he a quick-release guy, um, but his depth of targets, is he makes him like the second-most conservative quarterback in the league when measured that way, which he's throwing a lot of horizontals and not vertical, which means, look, if you're Abukam or if you're a Longacre, you may not have the time to get here, but try and keep him from getting it to Pierre Garçon or Marquise Goodwin in space, right? Absolutely. Or those little leakers out of the backfield. I mean, sometimes he throws it through the line of scrimmage. I mean, the ball doesn't travel very far. That's why I brought up tackling, because he's going to get it out quick to his playmakers, and then you're going to have to rally to the football. So I think you'll have a chance to get out on third down. For the most part, they will not throw it past the sticks. They're going to throw it in front and hope the guy breaks a tackle to pick up the first down. So tackling, tackling, tackling will be huge. One other thought on the defensive side of the football for the Rams. Obviously, it was good to see them make the adjustment, fit the run, shore up some of that. Do you think 
uh, whether it was the, the the team meeting or just seeing the results on the field, that they've kind of put that to rest now that they are going to be a better run defense than they have been through the first, say, five games of the season? Absolutely, because I, I like who it was that was, I wouldn't say making mistakes in Seattle, but didn't play as well. It was Brockers. And then all of a sudden, Michael Brockers looks like Michael Brockers and Denver goes nowhere. So you know it's you. Yeah. You know what your job is. So as long as you play it consistent and everybody does their job, the running back will pick who gets tackled or who gets the tackle. There's nowhere to go if you all do your jobs. I mean, on paper, the Rams should have three elite run stuffers in terms of their career production in Brockers, Sue, and Don. I mean, that, that's part of how they've built their reputation in addition to puncturing the pocket in the, in the rushing game. But then also, you've got two speedy linebackers behind them and now Barron and Littleton, who's been excellent. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Literally, literally excellent. That that should be running free to tackle ball carriers sideline to sideline. And and no shock, Ndamukong Sue has two defensive holes calls. I mean, if you can't make the play, wad it up so somebody else can. They're great at it. And John Johnson comes down and makes good plays against the run. So all accept the challenge. Stay together. There's nowhere to run the football. I always want to leave a little bit of time for you on 49ers week just to get your sentiments out there because it feels like getting to know you, it's your biggest rivalry from your playing days. I'm disappointed in, in this regard. Not that I have sympathies for San Francisco, but I thought this was the year that this rivalry was going to get back to full tilt, right? Yeah, me too. I mean, since relocating back to Los Angeles, there have been extenuating circumstances which have kept some of the steam out of this rivalry, whether it's uh, Jared Goff being inactive the first time they played or the Rams resting their starters last year in Week 17. This felt like, hey, this is the year the Niners are going to challenge and contend, and it's San Francisco against L.A. full go. You know, it it doesn't matter what we say about the rivalry or is it it dead or whatnot. Something will kick off this. We'll make it hot again. and it, It could happen on Sunday. That's just the way this rivalry happens. The fan bases, polar opposites in my opinion. Uh, the teams used to be polar opposites. Now the Rams are on top and the, the Niners are looking up. And I can tell you this, they don't like it. Yeah. So if you want it to get hot again, tune in on Sunday. It probably will. <laughs> I think there's a lot of Ram starters who didn't like seeing their reserves lose to Garoppolo and the 49ers in Week 17. To or see them celebrate. Yeah. 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 Interesting. You didn't stomp us. <laughs> uh, I think most of you know this, but just a reminder to wrap up here. This game was in primetime, was supposed to be Sunday Night Football, has been flexed out. So we will see you, uh, talk to you shortly after 1 o'clock pregame coverage starting three hours before at 10 with Travis and company. Uh, thanks for being with us for this edition of Rams All Access. The Rams going to San Francisco under defeated to play the 49ers. This is Rams All Access on ESPN LA 710.